Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. Well, as you know, this is a part three of a three-part series. <clears throat> I uh, have tried to share the joys or the mountaintop experiences in my Christian life to offset somewhat a nine-week uh, nine series that we did in 2019, which was on the valleys of life. And I realized that I had probably left the impression, uh, accidentally left the impression, that maybe the Christian life is not something you want to get in for because it's just one valley after another. And uh, when the pastor asked me if I would do uh, something like this uh, and, and share my life uh, experience up to this time, I said, would you mind if I do a three-week series on the mountains of life? I said, my Christian life has been characterized much more by mountains than it has by valleys. And so as I come before you tonight, I would just encourage you to uh, realize that God loves you. I, I don't think that's something that the world realizes. God is not some ogre sitting up there waiting to make your life miserable. He loves you, deeply loves you, so much that he sent his only begotten son to die for you. If there, was, if there were only you on earth, Jesus Christ would have died for you. And so... Uh, I have no, uh, in my life, I have no adventures, no dreams, no experiences that Christ has not filled in my long life. That is, that Christ has not allowed me. He is a wonderful Savior. I can affirm the beautiful truth of Scripture, which says this, delight thyself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. If you're not saved tonight, if you haven't ever received Christ, you have no idea what the real desires of your heart are. And it's taken me this long in my Christian life to realize that. Unsaved people, people who have never come before God and bowed the knee to Jesus Christ, unsaved people have no real idea what the desires of their heart are. They're looking around for some kind of direction. They want a better job, a better car, a better house, uh, the perfect wife. I looked for the picture of a, the, uh, the, the wife in the park who was waiting for the perfect husband. I couldn't find the picture. I have it somewhere in my files. But it, it was a skeleton sitting there with a, a hat on. And she had been waiting, waiting obviously years for the perfect man to come along. He's not out there. I can tell you that right now. But I did finish the, the second series with a, a most sincere uh, expression of my thanks and gratitude to God for the wife that he's given me. She is an absolutely amazing, wonderful human being and becomes more so as the days go on. All the dreams in my life have been realized. I'm a word guy, so if I define words once in a while, you just, just be patient with me. But realized comes from the word race in Latin, which means a race is a thing. And to say that your dreams are realized, it means they go from the abstract in your mind or in your heart that they actually become something. If you say, uh, I would like to go to Hawaii, well, that's, 
that's an abstract thought. It's a dream. It doesn't mean you're there or you're ever going to be there. But when you make that trip to Hawaii, you have realized that dream. God has realized it. And I'm here tonight to say that all of my dreams have been realized. Isn't that wonderful? Instead of, you know, religion is a terrible thing. Religion is constantly trying to get something from you. Stop doing this, quit doing this, don't go there, stop everything. In fact, stop breathing too. And that makes you the perfect saint. Uh, God is not like that. God is constantly looking for some way to please you, to give you the desires of your heart. But the first thing he has to do is to show you what those desires are. And with, uh, in my life, I, I, I went through as, as quickly as I could a number of things that I wanted to do in life. And I, I, I would also make this clear. Many of these things God gave me before my salvation. He foresaw what was coming up. And so I wanted a farm and I ended up with a farm, 80 acres of beautiful Arkansas, Missouri farmland. Uh, I, I always wanted to, to move a house or to build a house and remodel a house. And God gave us a, a home, a $3,750 home in Oregon. And I spent four years working on that. We sold it for $20,000. So that was a dream that was realized. I always wanted to go to school, but I had the wrong motive. My motive to go to school was, uh, was, was perverted. But when I became a Christian, uh, I had somebody that kept saying to me, you cannot serve God unless you have a degree. And one of the things that the Lord showed me, God doesn't need a degree. He needs a human heart that is totally given to him. And when we see that, when we realize that, we realize the importance of this Psalm 37.4, Delight thyself in the Lord, and he will give thee the desires of your heart. I always wanted to go to Russia. 1991, 30 years after I started studying Russian, the Lord allowed me to go to Russia. You find it, uh, chemo dries your mouth out, so that, <laughs> excuse me. I was able to go over there and teach at a seminary, the first Baptist seminary that was ever, that ever existed in Russia. There had never been one before. And so one day a man called me and he said, Jay, would you be willing to go to Russia? And I said, yes. He said, there's no salary attached to it. I said, that's fine. Bet Betsy stayed here with the girls, raised the two girls and worked while I was in Russia for two years. Wonderful experience. And so it goes on and on. But about three months into my Christian life, I stumbled badly, really badly. And I'm not gonna go into the details or even mention what it was tonight. But the bottom line was this. My faith in the word of God was challenged by my best friend. And my best friend said, if, if the Bible is so important, why is it that the American Indians have never had really any exposure to it until maybe the last couple of generations? Well, he might as well have put a bullet in my head because that really threw me and caused me to stumble. Everything turned dark in that direction. I had been brought to the Lord Jesus Christ, by, to faith in Christ by the Bible, by a man who loved the Bible and knew it. And that was my attitude. I loved the Bible and I knew it. And so here's the fatal statement that I made. If God is as great as, is as, great as he says he is, he doesn't need a book 
to, to, to inform us about him. That was a fatal statement. God is as great as he says he is, and he chooses to use a book to reveal himself. That was the fatal mistake that I made, but I didn't realize how serious it was. And so uh, I, I, I shared it with the man who led me to Christ, a man named David Fox. He was from New York, Long Island, New York. David brought me to a f saving faith in Jesus Christ, and he did it 100% through the Bible. And so Dave, David wanted to talk to me about why, why was I so distant? Why was I getting cold toward the things of Christ? And uh, so as I talked to him, we, Indiana, if you've ever been there, Indiana has absolutely dynamite sunsets. And so we always, at the end of the school day, we would walk out to the end of the railroad track and sit down and, uh, and just watch the sunset. They were, they, were, they were absolutely amazing all summer long. And so as we sat there and I was pouring my heart out to God, to, to, to David, uh, he was fooling around with, with his a knife. And uh, I didn't know what he was doing, but I, I realized later that he was carving something in one of the railroad ties. And he didn't say anything to me. I did all the talking. If God is as great as he says he is, he certainly doesn't need a book to reveal himself. Let him reveal himself to me some other way. Have you ever been in that situation before? Why doesn't God appear in the sky? Why doesn't he write it across the sky? Something like that. Well, he didn't choose to do it that way. He chose to reveal himself in a written word, which for our sakes is absolutely crucial. Can you imagine the mess that Christianity would be if we had no written word? It's bad enough that we, when we do have a written word to go to and to examine and to see, is this what God really intends for us? It's bad enough. For, but, but think if we had no written word to go to, no place of last resort, and that's what the Bible is. And so as we were getting ready to get up and leave, Dave called me over and he said, Jay, some, I want you to come back someday and finish this sentence here. And I noticed that he had carved Jesus blank fails. He said, I want you to come back and finish that someday. A few months later, I did come back and finish it. A friend told me, Jay, God loves you as much today as he has ever loved you in your life. He wants you to come back to him. And if you do, he'll forgive you, give you the peace back that you've had before. And I said to Jim, Jim Martin, Jim, if that's true, I'm going back to God tonight. I got on my knees and I apologized to God for the stupid attitude that I had. Terrible attitude toward God. He's, he's the one who made me. He can call all the shots that he wants to call because he is in charge. He's great. But the wonderful thing is that he loves us. And I, I tell you, man, I, I didn't think I would ever stop crying that night. It was just wonderful to know he forgave me all my sins. Out of that experience of a painful few months, and this happened shortly after my, Christian, my, my salvation, my Christian experience began, I realized the importance of music. I love music. I made my living at music for eight years before I became a Christian. And I suddenly realized the, the treasury of music that we have out there, Christian music. How about this? Earthly friends may prove untrue. Doubts and fears assail. Just remember, he is true, 
and he will not fail. Jesus never fails. That's what David wanted me to put in there. He said, plug that word never in there when you, when you come back to the Lord. You remember when Peter denied the Lord, Peter turned away from the Lord and he, and he says, and when you're turned back again, strengthen your brethren. So it happened even among the disciples. Jesus never fails. Jesus never fails. Heaven and earth may pass away, but Jesus never fails. Be content with such things as you have, he tells us in the book of Hebrews. Be content with such things as you have, because he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Another wonderful truth in music. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. Uh, so, we, many of us probably know this verse, but let's go back and look at it again. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. What did I do that caused me to stumble so badly? I distrust, mistrusted or distrusted God and I trusted in my own understanding. Hey, that's right. Those poor American Indians, they never had an exposure to it. It wasn't until afterward I realized that God has also dealt with that issue and he's dealt with it beautifully. How many times I have learned and relearn that lesson. It is one of the core doctrines of scripture. A speaker should never be put in the situation that I'm in tonight because this morning's message was dynamite. It was dynamite. I, I, I absolutely thrilled to hear what Pastor Ryan had to say this morning. And so, one of the things that he mentioned, and I'd like to just, this was already in my, my talk for tonight before this morning. But one, thing, one of the things I'd like to do is to, is to tell you what a wonderful father God is. He's really good at what he does. And uh, I'd like to read a couple of things to you because the subject come up of discipline. Discipline is important. Discipline is primarily perhaps a, a male issue. Uh, it certainly was that way in our family, and uh, it, there was, I always had the assurance that when it was time to discipline the kids, it, that I had Betsy behind me in it. But listen to this. Dear Dad, happy birthday. This was three months ago. I am so thankful to be able to, uh, to, to celebrate your birthday. Thank you so much for being a real dad to me for the support that you gave us without question at school and in our lives as children that, you're, uh, t uh, that you're con you continued to give us as adults. Thank you for the love you gave us, that we never doubted your love for us. Thank you for your prayer. I can point out a number of times in my life when I know without a doubt, that it was your prayer and intercession for our kids that brought them through. And she names this specific incident. In spite of all the events uh, that were happening at that time, God delivered us out of them. Thank you for supporting and loving and praying for our family. What a tremendous impact through your spiritual leadership you have had on our family that we will forever and eternally that will forever and eternally change the trajectory of our whole family. Thank you for always being so thoughtful. 
I really have countless notes and cards of encouragement, many of which uh, were given to me with flowers, by the way, that came at times that were so much appreciated. And, and Kate goes on, and I'd just like to read something from one of Carol's cards. Dear Dad, thanks so much for everything you've taught me, including all of the do-it-yourself skills you passed on to me. Hopefully you won't need this band-aid, she's the band-aid in the card, too soon. And thank you for all the years you've loved and cared for me. And now for my family. We all miss you very much and wish you were here to hold Juliana. She would love to snuggle with Pappy for a good long nap. Love you and miss you so much, Carol. Now, I'm not reading these things to boast about my fatherhood, my role as a father. That's not the purpose at all. The purpose came up this morning, and it had been very much a part of my message for tonight, and that is uh, the role of a father is absolutely critical in the raising of our children. And uh, these two letters, these two cards, came from children that if we had listened to the wisdom of this age, would have hated me because I believed in spanking. And I don't think that parents should ever remove from the table the discipline of spanking. It may not ever happen. You may have that perfect child where it's not necessary. But I think it's a big mistake when we start out saying, we're not going to spank our children because that's bodily abuse. And they have all of these terms that they're using for it now. That's wrong. I've looked at a lot of children in my life and I realized that little rump of theirs is unique. It's really unique. It's amazing that God came up with it. And it serves very well. Never once in my life would I have dreamed of hitting my child on the head. Never once in my life would I have dreamed of pulling their hair. I love those girls. And here they are, 50 years old, 40 years old, and they're saying, thanks, Dad, for loving us. What does that mean? It means the same thing as when God disciplines us, and we look back on, from my point right now, 58 years of being a Christian, 58 years, I look back on that, and this incident that I read, about, read to you that took place where I got smarter than God, that incident took place right at the beginning of those 58 years ago. And when I look back, the last thing I think about is the fact that God disciplined me, that there came a time, and believe me, it hurt. It hurt so badly that when I came out of this and God forgave me, I said, I never ever want to be disciplined by God again. You may find that with your children. If you judiciously punish your children, and I'm talking about physically now, if you judiciously discipline your children, you will find that that's the last thing that they remember. What they remember is, and, and both girls said the same thing at different times, we, we always remember how much you loved us. We, Kate said in her card further on here, she said, I never doubted, Dad, that you loved me. And again, this is not a feather in my cap. It was something that I was learning from God as I went along. That discipline, that first discipline in my Christian life, which was not the last by a long shot, but that first discipline in my Christian life taught me a lesson. And that is, 
summarized extremely well in the scriptures. And I'd like to, I'd like to read this uh, for you this morning because it's, it, it is so critical and so much, it was so mu- very much a part of what I took away this morning. You have forgotten the exhortation, the Old Testament exhortation. You have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to children. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. Don't faint when you're rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chasteneth, guaranteed, and scourgeth. You ought to see where that word shows up in the scriptures. And spanks every child whom he receives. Now, if you endure chastening, if you endure that, God is dealing with you as with sons and daughters. What son is he whom the father does not chasten? That's the attitude of the scriptures and the attitude of God toward, you have to discipline your children. What kind of a father is it that doesn't discipline his children? You know, more than anything else that I hear from people, I want my children to love me. I want my children to love me. The reason I read these two cards was to say, you're looking at a person who could have been accused of child abuse or anything else. My my nephew, one day, the daughter said, I'm leaving home. She said, I'm going to call Child Protective Services. John said, save yourself the trouble. I will call Child Protective Services. He said, hand me the phone. He called And he said, and by the way, before I dial this phone, you had better figure out where you're going to stay tonight. Isn't that beautiful? That's wisdom. You had better figure out where you're going to stay tonight because if that's your attitude, you're under the wrong roof. And so don't, don't get stuck, believers, and I'm speaking to believers now, don't get stuck on some doctrine of scripture and turn your back on God. And I'm afraid this is very common. Don't allow the enemy of your soul to keep you stuck. Repent of that error and move on. I'm persuaded that if God had not shown me the way of escape, I would still to this day be hung up on the question of God's faithfulness. I'm absolutely, I know myself. I know that I would still be hung up on that doctrine. But there's no reason to be hung hung up on it because God says over and over again, great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not, thy compassions they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. And this this explains it. And so why is it so important that we accept what the Bible has to say about God's faithfulness? It's full How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he has said? Look at this book. Isn't this amazing? If this book had been written in Egyptian hieroglyphics, it would take a wheelbarrow to carry it around. God has given us a handy, and by the way, that's a good word. He has given us a handy reference to find out whatever he wants us to know. If it's not in the Bible, it's probably not important enough to to deal with. If it's important enough to deal with, then the Bible speaks to it and addresses it. 
How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word, the Bible. What more can he say than to you he has said? Sit there and, and try to think of something that, well, God should have told us about this. You know, we, we didn't know that pot was coming along and, uh, you know, we're going to have this problem with our kids or something like that. The fact of the matter is, the more we know the Bible, the more we love the Bible, the more we delight ourselves in the Lord, the more sure we can be that God will treat us like the adults that he would like to be able to treat us. It's, it's so important, you know. Uh, we never talked baby talk to our kids after there were a certain age. There was, there, was, there was a time, one, two years old, three years old, something like that. But after that, the kids became one of us. They were comfortable with, with adult language and being brought into the, to the picture and everything like that. And so uh, if, you, if you're interested in techniques, I can give you one right now for those of you that have a very young one. We had a dried flower arrangement on our, dining room, on our uh, living room coffee table. And uh, that was a no-no. We didn't want, so you know how the babies, they get to the place where they can finally get up and they're looking around like this, but they have to still hold on and they go around the coffee table like this. And uh, one day, uh, each of the girls, we used the same technique on both, each of the girls noticed there's a flower arrangement there in the center of the coffee table. And so they would go like this and you say, no, no, that's off limits, no. The payload came whenever they would do this. They crawl up, they pull themselves up, <laughs> look around like this, and I said, immediately, see there? You think that is not deliberate disobedience? It is. It was, it, 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 it's a small thing, but it's some place to start. Some people say, well, my, my baby's too young to discipline, and I say, no, not at all. But there are appropriate ways to discipline. And usually something like just tapping them on the arm like that and, and not moving their hand away, that, that's usually enough to start. There may come a time when you have to use something more than that. I thank God that he didn't leave me in that place of doubt. The psalmist further said, he has put a song in my mouth. Isn't that, isn't that just like God? He brought me from sorrow to song. I, love, I, I agree with Pastor Ryan, I, I love to sing. I love to hear people sing. That song this morning, Refiner's Fire, was very much a part of our experience in Russia. We, we introduced the Russian Christian kids to, to that song. He has put a new song in my mouth. Listen to the words of this song. The soul that on Jesus has leaned for repose, I will not. I will not desert to his foes. This is putting us in the mouth of God the Father. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to, to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. Isn't that wonderful? So Christian music is one of the means that God uses to speak to us. He uses the scriptures. And it isn't enough to, a, few ver, a, a verse a day does not keep the devil away, by the way. That's, uh, that, that, that's just not true. A verse a day is like, uh, you might as well just forget the whole thing. It takes time. Sometimes when you sit down, you have to warm up to the scriptures and they have to warm up to you. Because your mind is someplace else, you have other things on your mind. 
Somebody might object, well, that's only a hymn. That's not scripture. Ah, but the fact is it's both. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee, says Isaiah, and through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, the Savior. It's both song and scripture. The, the skeptic might say, uh, but that was, wasn't written for Christians, that was written to Israel. But let me read you this scripture. Whatsoever things were written aforetime, that means in the Old Covenant, were written for our learning so that we, through patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. Now God, the God of patience and consolation, may he grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus. That's straight out of the New Testament. The things that were written before weren't written for them only. They were, they were for written for our comfort, our patience, and our consolation. If you aren't fed out of the Old Testament, you need to do a little checking. Peter himself reminds us of, uh, relative to our salvation, wherein you greatly, your salvation, you greatly rejoice in this, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness, through manifold temptations. Have you ever been tempted, believers? Have you ever been tested and tempted by the enemy? What's the difference between testing and tempting? It's the same Greek word. It's the intent that makes the difference. Satan tempts. God tests. Same word. Abraham, Abraham was tested by God when he was asked to sacrifice Isaac. He wasn't tempted by God because, why? How do I know that? Because God tempts no one, the scriptures tell me. God does not tempt anyone. So let no one say when he is tempted, I have been tempted by God. Drop that one right now. That's, that's, not, that's not good theology. That's not biblical theology. Peter himself reminded us that the trial of your faith being much more precious than the trial of gold that perishes, even though it be tried by fire, might, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine what a job God has trying to bring a sinner into conformity with the Son of God? God is, is working to conform us to the image of his Son. That's what he's working on. It seems to me that there's no growth in a Christian life without this trial by fire, which is Peter and Isaiah are both talking about. At its first occurrence in our lives, like I shared with you my first experience, we find it strange and unaccountable that God should put us through such agonies, following as they do immediately on the footsteps of the first joy of our salvation. I was only a Christian three months and I, went, I was put into this test this trial by fire and I'm not exaggerating when I tell you this I actually I actually contemplated suicide I thought to myself I've never been so miserable in my life and then one night the Lord did this he opened my eyes and he said say that again I've never been so miserable in my life and he said right what does that tell you because you're no longer unsaved you're a saved person 
That's why you've never been so miserable in your life. This is the first trial that you've ever been through as a believer. Those trials have continued. They continue on through the Christian life. Count it all joy when we fall into diverse temptations kind of irritates us sometimes when we read it. Count it all joy? Really? You expect me to be joyful in this miserable condition that I'm in right now? And then I read on, knowing this, that the trying of your faith produces patience. In other words, God, God is not doing any, just as, as a parent, and I'm so glad this is Father's Day, as a parent, the, the, the normal parent does not hate the child. The normal parent realizes that we've got some molding to do here. We've got to bring this child, this little rebel, as was <laughs> suggested this morning, we've got to bring this child to the place where they can actually function in society. And one of the things I determined, I said, God, I don't want to send my children out into the society in order to complicate issues out there. I would like them to be prepared to be participants in the society of responsible people. And both the girls, by the way, are extremely responsible adults. We find the old man who is resident within us unhappy with this turn of events. He wants to continue on in what I have called the honeymoon period of the Christian life, which is the first experiences we have for the first few months. We are quite happy with things as they are and wonder if God would allow this intrusion into our otherwise peaceful lives. But though God loves us deeply, just as we are, quote unquote, he, I recently heard someone say, he has no intention of leaving us just as we are. God loves you just as you are. He loves you enough to save you just as you are right now. Just, man, that wonderful hymn. Just as I am without one plea. I'm not going to try to tell God how good I am, how smart I am, how moral I am, or anything else. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. Isn't that a beautiful verse? Beautiful. God has a great work to accomplish in his children, and he accomplishes this work through his Holy Spirit as well. Though God has never predestined any human being to heaven or hell, that is not scriptural. God does, when the word predestination is used, it's used six times in the Bible, and it only refers to the children of God. I'm, I'm, I'll share one of those with you. God, whom he foreknew, whom God foreknew, he also did predestinate to what? Heaven or hell? No, no, forget it. He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. And if I read the other five, you would have to agree. Predestination has nothing to do with heaven or hell. That's a human theology that has brought that into Christianity. And we'll never know how many people refused and rejected Christ on the basis of that lie. But God does have intentions and he predestinates certain things. He predestinates that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. That's out of Ephesians. And, if, and, and the wonderful things that God has predetermined or predestinated, we should never, ever get hung up, hung up on that doctrine. I've met two kinds of people who accept this theology. The one is the kind of person who is disillusioned. They think to themselves, wait a minute, if God, is, if God predestined me to, me to hell, then there's nothing that I can do about it. I, 
I'm, I'm, I'm confused. And so disillusionment is one way to accept that doctrine. And the other one is arrogance. <laughs> yes, sir, I know I'm going to heaven. I know I was predestined to heaven. These poor suckers over here that weren't predestined to heaven, they're not going to go to heaven. And so we need to be very careful. And that's why we need to know the Bible so well. In the scriptures, we find many references of God using his word. Thy wor Listen to this one. This is one of the first verses that really hit me. Thy words were found, and I did eat them. And thy word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. Is not my word like a fire? <laughs> this had to come from Jeremiah. Is not my word like a fire and like a hammer that breaks the rocks in pieces? It is. The word of God is like a fire and like a hammer that breaks the rocks in pieces. And when the false prophets to whom this was addressed, when they experienced what it was to have a true prophet who was speaking the actual words of God, they realized, man, that word is like a fire and it's like a hammer that breaks the rocks in pieces. He burns up the brush, the briars, and he crushes the rocks. And the word is like that. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing asunder soul and spirit and the joints and marrow, and is a critic or a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. If you, if you read the Bible, you will find yourself being talked about in there. One of the things that I, mistakes I made, I said, Dave, I've tried to do what's right in my life, and I think it's in, unreasonable of you to, to say that I'm a sinner. Okay, I said, look, I, when, I, when, I, when I go out on a date with a woman, I try to behave myself, and I, I you know, I, I obeyed my parents. My parents, my mother always said, you're a good boy. You're a good boy. You behave well. Uh, I, and Dave said, D do you have a pair of scissors here? And I said, yeah, I, I should pair in a drawer over there. I said, why? And he said, because I'm going to cut Romans 3.23 out of the Bible. He said, Romans 3.23 says this, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Are you one of the all? And it just broke me down. I realized that that was addressed to people like me. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You need a savior. Uh, it's interesting that one of the things that it tells us about salvation is that it saves us from the wrath to come. The wrath of God has not fully been expressed yet. And when it will be expressed is, the, is in the presence of God when you find yourself saying nothing. Don't, uh, don't make the mistake I did. I thought that there was going to be this discussion between me and God. Well, I did this, right? I was a good student. And God said, well, that's, that's a point in your... No, there's not going to be any of that. The Bible says every mouth will be stopped and the entire world will become subject to judgment before God. You're not going to have anything to say. You're, it, it would be like putting that beautiful big screen that back in the back. It'd be like running your life through that screen. And, what, and how are you going to justify yourself? And justification is a part of that salvation. I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. Psalms. Deal bountifully with thy servant, that I may live and keep thy word. I'd like to close this evening, and I realize I probably run over a little bit, but I'd like to close with one question that has been raised, and that is somebody praying for a long period of time, and uh, it, it's a little irritating when they hear somebody like me saying, God has satisfied all my desires and answered all of my 
wishes. I have, my bucket list is empty. I have nothing to draw out there right now because God has been generous and has allowed me and showed me. And, and in, he is not only a God in theory, he's a God in practice. He loves to do good things for his children. And I, and I hope we can get that image of God. And, uh, and so the, the important part of, of it is how, how long you pray for something really is one of the least important things. How well you pray <clears throat> is very, very important. Is it scriptural? James tells us this. You pray, you ask, and you have not. Because you ask amiss. So that you may consume it upon your lust. And so just because you prayed for a long time, I said, and, and I'm, I'm not exaggerating when I say I prayed for 10 years for Be uh, my wife, for Betsy. And uh, that was important because others were telling me, you've got to get out and beat the bushes. And I said, I don't have time to beat the bushes. I'm in school. I'm taking four languages right now, and I don't have time to beat bushes. And so <clears throat> I said, I'm going to entrust this matter entirely to God. And I did entrust it to him, and I left it with him, and I forgot about it. And then I just kept praying, God, if you have a wife for me, bring her to me. And he did, right in the same church, pastor's daughter. Uh, it, it, it's wonderful. And so the question that has been raised and, and has been asked about this, what if you've prayed for something a long time and, and you don't get it, just something you want? And I, I need to say this, and I hope, it's in, I hope you understand the, the spirit in which it's being said. You may be fooling around in your Christian life. You may be pretending. You may be playing Christian. And God has very little time for that. It's very, it's very interesting. In Luke, he says this, anyone who has set his hand to the plow and turns back is unfit for the kingdom of God. There is no legitimate turning back in the Christian life. God has, God has serious businesses, business to accomplish in our lives. And he's working at it, and he will work at it. And believe me, if he doesn't give you something that you want, it's better that you not get it. I'm glad God, ne God never gave me money because I, <laughs> we've never had enough to, to become covetous. Uh, I'm, gl I'm glad for that. I'm happy for that. And so if God seems to be saying not yet or no, uh, begin to ask God if there's something, maybe something that you should know that, that you don't know about it. Uh, the gal that was waiting on the park bench for the perfect husband to come along uh, I felt sorry for her. She was skin and bones. Uh, that man apparently never came. And so I had no idea in 1963 when I studied Russian for, in the Air Force and studied it for the next 30 years, I had no idea that God was going to send me to Russia. I, I couldn't have known that. But in 1991, 28 years after I started studying Russian, I get a phone call. Jay, can you go to Russia to teach Greek over there at a seminary? I said, yeah, I can do that. And so I hope that my saying that I have nothing left of desires as far as this world is concerned, I hope that you don't get the wrong impression. That there, You need to check to see, are these things that I'm asking God for his will or are they my will? And a very important part of the Christian life is the death to self. And I don't have time to talk about that tonight. But 
we need to die to self. And I'd like to quote a poem that is written on this subject. Die to thy root, sweet flower. If God so wills, die even to thy root. Lie there a while, an uncomplaining, mute, blank life, with darkness wrapped about thy head, and fear not for the silence round thee spread. This is no grave, though thou among the dead are counted, but the hiding place of power. Die to thy root, sweet flower. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.